Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. So you can take your seat if you'd like to. I, I want to share this with you, and I'm not going to be long because I, I don't believe that God's finished um, in that uh, area yet. So I, I'm not going to be long. I just want to share this with you. I, I've not been able to get out of John chapter 3 for the past. This will be the third week that you have been uh listening to John chapter 3, but I believe that God is, is speaking to us. Sometimes we need to come back to simplicity when it comes to God and when it comes to a relationship with God. It's not about all the complicated things. It's not about all the theology. It's not about all the the. Uh, fancy words and all that. Sometimes we just need to come back to a place of simplicity uh, and let God be who he wants to be. Let him speak to us uh, through his word. And uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, we're not going to stay there, uh, but I just want to kind of launch out uh, with this passage of scripture and then we're going to go to John chapter 3 and verse 16, John three sixteen. 16, uh, this morning. We're, we're still on this thing, and I, um, Autumn had mentioned to me the other day, she said, Dad, why didn't you tell me you're doing a series, and I could have, we could have uh, promoted it with the media and all that, and I said, well, I didn't know we were doing a series. So, uh, so that's, that's uh, the way it goes sometimes. You don't really know what you're doing, uh, but you know that, Lord, the Holy Spirit is leading. So uh, we're on this again this morning, and, and uh, this will, as far as I know, last week was the last one, but as far as I know, this week will be the last one. So if I come back next week, I'll say it again. As far as I know, this will be the last one. But... In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, uh, Paul said this. Uh, he said, for all, everybody say all. Look around you. Just, just take a gander around and look around. That means everybody that your eyes uh, touch today, all have sinned. All have sinned. For all have sinned. All have sinned. All have sinned. All of us at one time or even at the present are sinners. All of us. So the ones that you looked at this morning cannot boast of themselves being any better than you are because we were all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, verse 23. Most of you probably know that by heart. But I want to say it again. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If all encompasses everybody, that word sinned simply means that all of us 
at one point or another in our lives, we have done something that has broken the heart of God. We have done something that has been contradictory to the way that God intended for us to live. Sin comes in many forms, in many fashions, in many dimensions, but sin is always destructive. Sin always leads to death. There is nothing about sin that can produce life in you. Sin always leads to death. That is the reason that Paul said that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Do you want revival in your life? Do you want a move of God in your life? Do you want God to do something in your life to break you out of the, of the rut that you've been in, the bondage that you've been uh, under, the power of, of addiction that's in your life? Do you need revival in your life? Then the first thing to understand is to recognize that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, what is coming short of the glory of God? What is he talking about there? The glory of God is simply the manifested presence of God. It is the very presence of God that comes into my life or into your life that that radically changes our lives. It is, it is that that Jesus said to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it will. We hear the sound, but we don't know where it's coming from, and we don't know where it's going. The wind can't be seen, but Jesus said it, it has an impact. And so when Paul said we've, fallen short or come short of the glory of God. In other words, the presence of God is that part that, of God that works in our lives, that changes us, that, that redeems us, that, that takes what we thought was no way out and God produces a way out through salvation, through the breaking of the bondage of sin over our lives. Some of us in here this morning, you were in a path or on a rut or on a, on a road and, and you tried to break this bondage. You tried to break out of this thing, but, but you can't do it. And, and you thought that another relationship would help you out. Or perhaps you thought that another uh, drink of liquor would help you out. Maybe you thought that another pill would help you out. But none of that stuff has been able to break this, this train, this track that you're on. But friend, I want to tell you this morning, very simply today, that it is the blood that Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary that can change your life. When Paul said we've all sinned and come short of the glory, it's, it's, if you look at that, it's, it's like a, 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 a person that's shooting an arrow, that the arrow falls short of the target. How many times have you aimed at a target and you always fall short? But I want to tell you this morning, the hand of God has been extended. It's been extended to us this morning. Now, if you go to John chapter 3 and verse 16, I'm going to read just this one verse. I'm going to say a few words about it, and then I'm going to open the altar back up. And I want you to think about this today. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to simply break this down and I'm going to stick with my script, if at all possible. But I want you to understand, Psalm 14 and verse 1 says this, The fool, everybody say the fool. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they do abominable deeds, there is none who does good. The Bible refers to one who says there is no God as a fool. If you look at John 3.16, if you take John 3.16 out of the Bible and, and they come and take every other scripture away from you, you don't have any scripture but just John 3.16. You will have enough word and enough knowledge out of John 3.16 to win the world to Christ. There is no other scripture in your Bible that in a few short words describes the heart of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God, and the desire of God for mankind like John 3.16. That is the reason that it's one of the most popular, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. But even though it's quoted a lot and, and it's memorized a lot, there's still many people that don't understand about the true meaning of John 3.16. It is the gospel in a nutshell. It is the gospel in one verse. It is such a powerful verse. And the first two words, for God, lets us know it is the answer to the atheist question, is there a God? It is the answer to all other religions who think that there's another way to get to heaven besides through God. John 3.16, Jesus said, for God. That lets us know that it was all about him, that it was all produced by God. For God so loved the world. I want to tell you something this morning. There are three basic types of love that, that we are, are acquainted with or that we uh, are come in contact with on a daily basis. Those three types of love. One is the word, the Greek word is erotica. And erotica love is a love that is, is mostly perverted. It is a perverted love. When you talk about an erotic love, you're talking about a love that only takes from people. All right? It is a love that never gives. It is a love that always takes. It's always a perverted type love. It's where pornography and uh, sexual perversion and all of that is, is tied up and rooted in this word erotica because it always takes. It always promises. 
if you will do this, it's going to be good. It's going to be better. But it always leaves the individual with a, with a sense of worthlessness and hopelessness because it is, a, it is a perverted love. The second type love that, that we are familiar with is the Greek word phileo. It is the word uh, for brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. That word phileo is, is, a, is a word that describes a love that uh, takes place between friends. It is a love that, that is based upon uh, a, a mutual relationship with friends, the love of a friend and, and that you care for a friend. That's a phileo love. But neither of those describe the love that's in John 3.16. But the word that describes the word, the, the love that's in John 3.16 is the word agape. It is, it is agape love. It is the love that Jesus had for you and I uh, that, that brought him to this world to die for you and I. The word agape that describes this love, Paul said in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, he said, but God showed us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while I was still out sowing all of my wild oats and, and doing all of my crazy and, and dumb things, even when I had my back to God and did not even recognize God, God still loved me. Agape love is a love that is not dependent upon what you do. The agape love of God is not dependent upon whether I respond or not. Agape love says this, that Jesus says, I love you anyway. You don't deserve it, but yet I love you. You couldn't earn it, but yet I love you. You can never add anything or take anything away. I love you. <clears throat> perhaps there are those that are here this morning that you don't understand the love of God because you see, friend, one of the biggest things that the enemy wants to rob out of your life is the understanding of the love that God has for you. Remember this, for God so loved the world. For God so loved. And, and, and so many times because we live in a culture today where love has been so perverted and love has been so twisted that we have a misunderstanding of true love, that we can't comprehend the love that God truly has for us. We think that when we mess up that God don't like us anymore. We think that, that God loves us like our parents perhaps loved us. We think that God loves us maybe like a husband or a wife loved us, that they broke your heart. But I want to tell you something this morning, friend, that the agape love of God is a love that transcends all the ideas and the thoughts of a man. The, the agape love of God reaches down and loves you, and it doesn't matter if you deserve it or not. I know this is simple this morning, 
but God didn't make a mistake by bringing those that are here, here this morning. He wants you to hear something today. And I'm telling you today that you might feel like that you are unlovable. You might feel like that you've gone too far to be redeemed, but the agape love of God will go to every extent to bring you to a relationship with Christ. There is nothing that you have done, will do, or can do that will stop God from reaching out and loving you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior, the Redeemer, died for me on the cross. The Bible says this, that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Think about this, ladies and gentlemen, that God looked down on a sinful world in the book of Genesis God looked down and he saw that the sin, the heart of man, was always on evil. God said, it repents me that I have made man. And so what did God do? God spoke to a man named Noah and told him, he said, I want you to build an ark because uh, it's going to rain. The Bible says that Noah moved with fear and began to build an ark for the saving of his family. God looked down and saw the sin uh, that had filled the world, and uh, he gave Noah the opportunity to build an ark for the saving of his family. The flood came, and the world was destroyed. There was another time that God looked down and saw the sin of the world. He saw that sin had so consumed and so filled the earth that there was no hope for mankind. But God said, uh, I'm not going to destroy the earth with a flood again. This time, I'm going to do something different. This time, I'm going to send my son, my only son. I'm going to send him down uh, and put him on earth, and I'm going to let him walk the earth for about 33 and a third years, and I'm going to let him demonstrate my love. I'm going to let him ex exemplify how much I love people. I'm going to let him speak of my love. He is going to be the voice of my, uh, he's going to be my voice on earth. So Jesus came, he lived, and he died, and on the third day he rose again. And it is through the shedding of his blood that you and I can only have remission of our sins. God didn't send his son into this world just to make a statement that he's God. He sent his son into this world that you and I no matter the condition of our hearts, no matter the condition of our soul, that we could be saved. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. But notice the next part, that whosoever believed in him, whosoever believeth in him, 
That simply means, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus was sent by the Father. The responsibility that you and I have today is simply to believe. I want you to notice something about John 3.16, that this word believe, that whosoever believeth in him separates. The fact that God sent his son, it separates that from the fact that if we refuse to receive his son, we will perish. One thing that can, that can rescue my life, and that is when I believe that God sent his son and I believe that he died for me on the cross and I receive him, that is the only thing that stands between me and a burning hell. That word believe simply means this. It simply means being persuaded of the fact that God sent his son. It simply means that I put my trust in the idea or the, or the principle that God sent his son when I was yet a sinner, when I was not worth saving, when I was of no good, God sent his son. And when I put my trust in him, I am believing that he did that. It's not based on whether or not I join a church. It's not based upon whether or not I belong to a church. It's based upon a belief that says, I put my trust in him. I am persuaded that he is who he said he was. I am persuaded that he is a redeemer. In Acts chapter 26, the Apostle Paul had been detained and brought before King Agrippa. And the Bible says that Paul stood before King Agrippa and gave his testimony of how God had redeemed him and how God had, had brought him out from a sinful life. And Paul was sharing the gospel with King Agrippa. And the Bible says that this king that sat up on his throne sat there and listened to the Apostle Paul share uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. And at the end of uh, Paul sharing, Agrippa looked at him and said, Paul, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. You almost convinced me of my need to become a Christian. I don't know what held him back that day, and I don't know what uh, stopped him from making a decision uh, or a commitment to follow Christ, but I do know this, that Agrippa, this great, great man, uh, this kingly man, stood there that day and said, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. But can I tell you something this morning? Almost is not good enough when it comes to God. Almost is not good enough when it comes to a relationship with Christ. 
Almost being saved is not saved. Almost being redeemed is not redeemed, friend. And I want to tell you this morning that Agrippa stood there that day and spoke those words to the Apostle Paul. But if he did never, if he never changed his mind, if he never went further with his decision to know Christ, then, friend, today he is still regretting that decision. Almost, you persuaded me. There are people that on a weekly basis hear the gospel that are almost persuaded. They're almost persuaded. There's something in my spirit, there's something in my heart that tells me I need Jesus. There's something in me that causes me, it causes a weight on my chest and says, I need Jesus. But yet there is something else inside of me that says, you don't have to do it today. There's something else inside of me that says, just put it off. Wait till next week. You can come back next Sunday, and it'll be better, and it'll be easier. But there's something there that continues to to pull you and woo you and convict you. Friend, it's called the Holy Spirit. And when Holy Spirit begins to deal with a person's life, he doesn't come with a ball bat and beat you over the head and beat you all the way down to the altar. He is just like a gentleman that reaches his hand out and takes the hand of a woman and leads her and and pulls and brings her in because he loves you. You see, friend, this morning, don't neglect the opportunities that God gives you uh, to uh, accept him. There is... Listen... He still saves and He still redeems and heals. But do you understand this morning that it, it, it has to be a decision that I make? Listen, I never will forget the evening that I went to, Judy and I went to an old-fashioned camp meeting. And I walked in that, that evening and we sat down on the pew. And I remember the message that the, the uh, evangelist was preaching that night. I sat there, and I waded through a lot of stuff that I was watching people, and I was looking at people, and, and I was listening to what everybody was saying. But as I sat there and began to listen to this evangelist, he began to talk about a baseball game, and he began to talk about that the batter was up in the plate, and uh, he had already struck twice. And he said, on that third strike, you will be out. And I sat there, and as I began to listen to this man talk about Jesus, I knew because I had been raised in a Christian home, and I knew that God loved me, but I also knew that I was a sinner. And I began to hear him tell about the love that Jesus had and the conviction began to come over me. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit began to convict my heart. I began to see myself as a sinner. I began to see myself as undone without God. 
I began to see myself dying and going to a devil's hell because I did not know Jesus. I did not know him as my Savior. I had listened. I had been baptized four or five times. Every time revival would come, I'd, I'd make a decision and get baptized, but I had never accepted Christ into my life. Listen, I want to tell you that religion cannot do you any good. Our works cannot do you any good. It is only a relationship with Jesus Christ that will change your life. So many times I had followed the crowd to the altar, and so many times I would follow the crowd out to the party. I would follow the crowd to the altar, and then I would turn around and follow the same crowd out to the party. And I realized that I did not have relationship with Christ. Even though I lived in a home where prayer was made every day, where Bible reading was done every day, even though my dad was a prayer warrior and my mom was a prayer warrior, I did not know Christ as my Lord and Savior. Even though I had been to church and even though I was on the roll book of many churches, I did not know Christ. Even though I had knelt at an altar and said some uh, flimsy prayer, I did not know Christ. Christ. But can I tell you something? That night when they gave the invitation, I went down. Judy and I both went down to the altar. Judy was a Baptist, so she didn't get saved. She got rededicated. I, I went down to the altar. I was a sinner, and I got saved. That's a joke between me and her. I tell her all the time, I say, you got saved. She said, no, I didn't. I rededicated my life. I said, you was a sinner when you went to that altar. You got saved. You see, ladies and gentlemen, maybe God is speaking so simply this morning because he wants you to understand that you've been looking at a man to do something that only God can do. You've been, you've been expecting a person to do something for you that a person cannot do. Because if a person could do it, it would have already been done. But what you're needing this morning is to recognize that you are a sinner. You are on your way to hell, and you need Jesus to come into your life. Oh, I know it's hard ground that I'm plowing, but I know seeds are going to come. Listen, Jesus said this in Matthew 18, and I'm fixing to, fixing to close. Matthew 18, Jesus said this, How think you, if a man had a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, would he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seek that one which is gone astray? And if so be that he would find it, he said, Verily I say unto you, he would rejoice more of that one than of the whole ninety and nine which, which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Listen, the desire of God today is that none would perish. None would perish. But I want 
to bring you to reality today. That the beauty of John 3.16 and the sweetness of that verse and the hope that we find in that verse, that the first part of John 3.16 was simply given to you and I that we would not have to experience the last part. When he said, those of us that would believe would not perish, but we could experience everlasting life. Paul said, would you stand with me, please? Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 said these words. He said, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. I'm going to ask the worship team, if you will, to come real quickly, and, and I'm not going to be long. And as they prepare to sing this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to, to respond today to what you've heard. God so loved. He so loved us that he sent his only son. That if we would just believe, if we would just be persuaded, if we would just put our trust in him, we would, we would never perish. But we could have everlasting life. So we put so much stock in this on this earth that we don't think about eternity. As Sister Sandy said this morning, eternity is forever. Think about it. If I were to ask you this morning how quickly it seems that you have come from just being a child to where you are right now, most of you would say it's just like the snap of a finger. Life goes by so fast. The book of James said that our life here is like a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Like a, like a cloudy pillar that just vanishes away. See, more than I'm preparing for tomorrow, I'm prepared for eternity. So I want to ask you this morning, if you're here today, are you ready for eternity? Are you ready this morning? Do you, do you know that you know that you know that Jesus is the Lord of your life? Are you firmly convinced and firmly persuaded that He is your Savior? He is your Redeemer? If not, I'm going to ask you to make the decision that will be the greatest decision that you ever make in your life. 
I'm going to ask you to step out from where you're standing and make your way down to the altar. We're not going to do anything crazy. You're coming to Jesus. You're not coming to me. So I'm going to ask you to make that decision this morning. I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to give Him all that I am so that I can receive all that He is in my life. As they sing this morning, this altar's open. I'm not going to ask you to bow your head or close your eyes because if you're not willing to do it publicly for Him, then it's probably not going to be any good to you anyway. So I'm going to ask you to be bold. I'm going to ask you to be bold today and say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I need a Savior. I need a Redeemer.